0: Today on Laura Lin and Friends.
1: Essentially, somebody is going to steal everything that we own, um, and that's what the reset is about. And that's why we're going to have to rent it. And that might be what what we agree to to cancel all our debt is that we, you know, agree that we give up ownership of all our property.
2: Well hello everyone and welcome to the beginning of the last days. We have lots of time left. Don't worry. I don't think that we're going to be going anywhere for just a little while. I think that the earth is shaking and and there's wars and rumors of wars but I believe that we have some time to have a little bit of fun in this life and I have become convinced that uh, we have to have an abundant life. So whether we're worried about some things that are happening, or, you know, we're concerned about the globalists and the cabal, or whether we're kind of watching biblical prophecy in a way, and we know that certain things haven't happened, like for one thing, um, Damascus has not been leveled. So um, we found that out last week. (laughs) Um, You know, let's just take, let's just take time to enjoy that we are at peace here in the western part of the world for today, Um, especially in Canada. Um, I have some information about a a boat being built here, but anyways, um, other than that, we're good. We're totally 100% good. Um, I wanted to read to you from my, my dad's Bible and he loved to underline from one end to the other and I opened up today just by happenstance to first kings 19 and he's got quite a bit of underlining done in a certain portion of it Um, first kings 19 verse 11 and it's a very interesting story and I don't know if you remember this story but basically um, Elijah was trying to hear from God and he wanted God to give him a clear word and so Elijah says, uh, to God, uh, he says, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. They've thrown down your altars and slain your prophets with the sword. (laughs) So that was the Israelites and, and they were not behaving well. They were not playing well with others and they had done some bad things. So Elijah was angry about this and he went before God. And so this is what God said to Elijah. Do you want to know what God said? Okay. So the Lord said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind rent the mountains. So I guess it ripped across the mountains and it broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after that wind and earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. I wonder what was doing those things after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. So what strikes me is that these are three very powerful happenings. They are um, events that are, one might say acts of God, but God was saying clearly that the wind, the earthquake and the fire, very powerful events. That was not where God was. Instead, it was here. And I think this is important for us at this hour when we see fire, wind, earthquakes in the world today. Where is God in the middle of all of that? Well, so this is what happened. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And that's where God was. And my dad's highlighted it. He's made little notes and uh, has some things that maybe I'll look into later to figure out what he thought was so important about that. But I'll tell you what I get out of it is that in the midst of the fire, in the midst of the earthquakes, in the midst of the shaking and the wind and the storm of life, God is in the still. Small voice, and I don't know how we get quiet enough to hear him. But you are absolutely, absolutely going to love uh, my guest today. We've had him on the show before. He is always fascinating. Andrew Kaufman is here, and we appreciate um, you know all that he brings. He's an MD. He's a public speaker, researcher, natural healing practitioner. Uh, business and homeschooling consultant. And we thank God for homeschooling that is going on right now. We've never really talked to Andrew about that, but yay. <laughs> we really need that, especially since they're sexualizing children and you can't trust a, a thing that they're putting uh, into the schools these days. We um, And he's a, uh, uh, I'm not going to say that word right now because we're still on uh, our channels. Uh, we're going to just tell you right now that in order for us to speak the truth on any matter, we'd like you to head over to Rumble. And uh, JT, you're going to put that into the chats of all the places. Um, So we're on Rumble. Head over there, would you mind? Because we got some really important things to talk about. And we can't do it in some places. So we want to be respectful. You know of our good platforms, of our good friends there at the the bigwig national broadcasters that sometimes don't like what we put out. Um, I will tell you that Andrew, um, he is, uh, so he got his BS from MIT in molecular biology and completed his psychiatric training at Duke University Medical Center after graduating from the Medical University of South Carolina. So Andrew, we welcome you to the show today. Thank you very much for taking time to be with us from wherever parts of the world that you are. You're usually off in some exotic place, but thanks for being with us.
1: Well, it's a pleasure to be here with Always, and I come from my home base today in central New York. Okay. uh, Beautiful fall and uh, early winter weather. Right.
2: So we've been hearing about New York. Are you in an area where um, have they been having some uh, protests and rallies and stuff like that there, or is New York staying out of it all?
1: Well, um, no, I'm sure in New York City, I've heard that there have been uh, some uh, pretty outrageous protests, but I am uh, far away from that in uh, the middle of the wilderness, uh, so to speak, uh, near the Southern Adirondack Mountains. So, um, fortunately, I'm in a, a different part of New York that's a lot uh, more uh, conservative and uh, sane than uh, than d- down in the uh, the Big Apple.
2: Down in the Big Apple. Very good. So... Uh, We're seeing some real, speaking of earthquakes, I mean, um, we're seeing some things in in the financial areas and not only have you brought to us a lot of information, speaking the truth on, you know, what we've just experienced in the last three years and, you know, in the crazy situation that we found ourselves, but... Uh, there's, there's some, uh, real shaking things that are going on financially in the world and you've sort of been, uh, following up on all of that. And so what can you tell us, Andrew, what should we be concerned about and and how can we protect ourselves if we need to?
1: Well, I wouldn't say I'm uh, necessarily one to give financial advice, but I think, um, if you understand a little bit about what's going on, um, it'll kind of be obvious Uh, what steps you might take to uh, protect yourself and your family. But essentially, what what we have going on right now is uh, a debt and currency crisis. And I think what we don't usually talk about this um, in the terms of how this all began. So I'm going to try to lend some insight. But if you just look at different markets, right, because of the uh spending the quantitative easing the creating of currency that went on during the COVID era it left uh um, the mark of inflation which has led the central banks um, especially in the united states which the u.s dollar is the world reserve currency so regardless of what uh, nation you live in and what your local economy is based upon it's still connected to the us dollar and because of the rising interest rates and by the way these if we look back in the history of raising interest rates, um most people may uh, or my age or older may remember the name Paul Volcker, Volker, who was the Federal Reserve chairman back in the 70s when the last time we had an inflation crisis. But at that time, even though the interest rate eventually was really high about 20%, it only doubled from where it was when they started raising it and they took several years to double the interest rate. But if you look at what's happened with the current Federal Reserve, they have raised the interest rate something like 18 times the starting value. Okay, so not double it, but made it 18 times more interest. And they've done this in a very, very rapid time. So it's left the banks in a big crisis because of the way that they put their money in bond markets and treasury bonds and uh, treasury bills. Um, are extremely poor investment now because of the change in the interest rates. And I'm not gonna explain all the details, but if you look into it, you can see that this is part of why we have bank failures, but also because of the interest rates, you have um, people do not wanna take out loans and the banks have tightened their credit guidelines. So we have, you know, people can't get car loans or don't wanna take out car loans. Mortgages are very expensive. So people aren't buying houses and cars. And because of the wages are not keeping up with inflation, um, essentially people are poorer with their same salaries. And so they're taking on more credit card debt. And then we have a record number of defaults in the credit card industry. So you have essentially all these areas of defaults in debts and I didn't even get into student loans. And this is all mounting to a a big crisis, you know, in the context of inflation and these high interest rates. Now, you know, the government has really been minimizing these issues. And one of the things they've held on to is that the unemployment rate has been low, but only one financial analyst uh, by the name of um, uh, Dowd, I believe, has pointed out actually that the reason for that is because so many working age healthy adults have actually died from the vaccine that they're no longer in the job pool or they've become disabled from the vaccine that they're not counted any longer in the unemployment numbers so that's given us a false sense that the economy is doing better than it has um, along with other measures uh, whereby banks get rescued from failure or the stock market or precious metal prices are, are manipulated and propped up to make the economy look good. And at the same time, you have um, many non-Western nations around the world forming a coalition known as BRICS, which I believe stands for uh, Brazil, um, uh, Russia, India, and South Africa. I must be uh, missing one, Uh, China, sorry, China and South Africa. Uh, but many, many other nations have joined, including some of the oil-rich Middle Eastern nations, and their uh, whole raison d'etre is to develop a currency outside of the dollar. So this is where my big moment of explanation can come into play of why we have this system where we're essentially have tons and tons of debt, huge deficits, no one can pay back their loans, it all actually goes back to 1933 and the last World War. Because what happened it, at that time was that the United States was also suffering from an economic depression. And because they had used emergency war powers um, in World War One and other wars, and this is a time when essentially an emergency gives politicians an excuse to do anything they want, right? This is how, the COVID tests, vaccines were allowed to be sold is because the government said, you don't have to do the normal thing, which is show that these things are safe and effective and get approval from our agencies because it's an emergency, just go sell what you have, whether it's dangerous, it doesn't work, it doesn't matter, it's okay, right? And all the rules go out the window, all constitutional protections go out the window during an emergency. But those emergencies were traditionally worse, or natural disasters or famine like things that were life and death situations but in 1933 the u.s government under fdr decided that the um, issue with the monetary crisis or the financial crisis which was really a shortage of money in the system so there wasn't money to make loans and have businesses uh, you know, be able to get financing to maintain their expenses. And that's essentially what was going on. So the government said, because it's an emergency, we're going to have a bank holiday, close all the banks. And then when we open up, essentially everything's going to be different. And what they did was completely flabbergasting and egregious because they took the trading with the enemies act from world war one and applied it to all the U S citizens saying that they were enemies of the state and they couldn't have money. And that's what the reason they had them all turn in their gold. They made owning gold illegal, gold was real money. And they made the Federal Reserve notes, which they called Federal Reserve bank notes, completely imaginary. And this is the truth still today. If you look at the Federal Reserve Act section 16, you'll see that a bank can get federal reserve notes when you sign a a note for a loan so laura if you go into your bank and ask them for a loan you think you know you might think that they have that money and they would lend it to you but that's not the case at all actually what happens is they get you to sign an application and a, a promise to pay and that's called collateral because you're a good trustworthy uh, woman. So you're gonna pay back that loan and that's collateral. So then they go to the central bank and they ask the central bank, can you give us this currency? And the central bank says, do you have collateral? And then they say, here's Laura Lynn's promise to pay. I give you my offer, my tender of Laura Lynn's promise. And then boom, they give them the money. Now, that money didn't exist before. It comes into creation because you applied for it and you promised to pay. And it's not, there is no actual money. There's no gold. You can't trade it in for gold, right? They didn't, nobody had to possess something of value to give you that. It's basically imaginary. And this is called fiat currency. Now, each time we do that, it creates on paper debt that's never paid back. Because when we write a check or give federal reserve notes, those are the same things we created that way. So we can't pay them back with the same debt that we created in the first place. So it just essentially keeps adding up and adding up. And there are ways by the way to um, cancel it out and make it go away. But if we were taught how to do that, they couldn't use use this this financial financial system system to control us. And this, Essentially, crisis is leading to the central digital currency, which is basically we're going to be in such bad shape that they're going to say, We'll rescue you. We will cancel all your debt if you just adopt this app on your phone. And once people adopt that, then they're going to be, you know, under essentially control because all of their access to the financial system uh, will be controlled.
2: Wow, and that's how they get us, because uh, a lot of people, um, I'm seeing that people are overextended. Uh, We've had quite a few good years, like here in Canada, of the lowest rates of interest of all time. So you could borrow $500,000, $700,000, you know, on your the home of your dreams and amortize it over 25 years or whatever. And you got it at, you know, 2%, 2.5%, 3%. It was, it was like amazing. You can handle that payment. But all of a sudden, when it comes up for renewal, uh, people are now, we're now seeing that beginning of the, those, um, you know, the foreclosures and things like that, that are not, um, you know, it's going to cause a lot of harm to, to folks. And so so what you're saying is there's, as they get into trouble or whatever, they're going to be able to capture us and have more control over us, I guess, by saying, well, we'll let you out of this debt, but you, you need to what? So So what will this app be and do to us?
1: Right. Well, you, you know, you, you're right, because when they have a crisis and people are desperate, they can come right in there with what seems like the solution. But it turns out it's not in your best interest. So the this kind of an app, um, you know, you can already find out information um, about it because it's similar to the social credit system uh, that they have in China. It could be used that way. Um, people from the Bank of International settlements, settlements, which is the central bank of central banks, have already admitted that, you know, there it could be used in a way to control people's access to the funds. So one of the things that they've talked about, for example, is something called negative interest rates. So you mentioned, right, that it was easy to get loans at low interest rates when the central bank set the prime interest rate at zero or Uh, 0.125 or 0.25%, right? Which it's been. But what if the interest rate were set at negative numbers, so that instead of you gaining interest, that the balance would actually shrink? Now, this might be a way to contract the money supply, uh, or to accelerate the velocity of money to stimulate spending in the economy if they say, well, we're setting an interest rate of negative 5%. So you basically, if there's anything left in your bank account at the end of the month, when the interest kicks in, it will be 5% will be taken off the top. Now, that is something that could easily be implemented. And so, for example, like austerity policies, which they've had in Puerto Rico and Greece and other places when the government can't pay its debt back to the IMF or to the European Union in some cases, or in Puerto Rico's case to the United States government and, and the other uh, corporate creditors, then they would impose austerity measures, which could Im- mean that they they take money directly out of bank accounts. And this can also happen um, now even in the Western countries because of uh, monetary reform that's been passed into law, where they can have bail-ins instead of bailouts. So if a bank is does not have enough liquid assets to pay their um, depositors. And there's a bank run. It was in the past we observed that the government, right? The FDIC and the federal reserve and the treasury department in the United States would bail the bank out by giving them money essentially or by buying shares of their bank uh, you know, at, a, at a, a, a generous price, things like that. But now we could have what's called bail-ins where if the bank, instead of the bank failing uh, in order to pay its depositors, it will just take money out of the other account holders who have more than, I believe, a hundred thousand US dollars in their account. And so above that, they can just take take it off to, you know, Rob from uh, Peter to pay Paul kind of scenario. So the digital currency would just facilitate, make much easier these types of maneuvers and the other the way that they plan to set it up is that you wouldn't actually have an account at a private or a commercial bank you you would have only account at the central bank so all of your assets your digital currency would be in an account at the federal reserve bank or the central bank of canada or the bank of england depending on where you lived and they would you know, be able to directly control your access to that account. So if they set the interest rate, they would take the funds out. uh, And, and such directly, there would be no intermediary uh, you and you would not be able to also because of that system, you would no longer have any opportunity for privacy in your financial transactions. So now you know, we do have most people use credit cards. And of course, every time you use your apple pay or your credit card it is tracked but you have the option of at least um you know doing business at least some business in cash and a cash transaction you know cannot be easily monitored a large one they have a lot of uh, restrictions in u.s banking these days uh like try taking twenty thousand dollars in cash out of the bank but uh, but if you are you know uh, deliberate and uh, careful you can still do things um, in cash uh, or through precious metals, possibly that are, that are in the private, but in this kind of a digital system, uh, essentially there'll be almost no opportunity other than between you know, private uh, men or women who could do you know, anything they want, uh, but in the business world, um, in, you know, in any store or retailer or online business, uh, there'll be no opportunity to do any kind of private peer-to-peer uh, transactions.
2: So do you see gold and silver as being an ongoing um, alternate currency? Uh, Is that the answer?
1: Gold and silver are real money. They meet all the criteria for money because they have uh, their own intrinsic value. And you could think about it this this way, um, like with gold, which gold doesn't have a lot of industrial applications, uh, but it certainly is a beautiful metal. Um, but the effort that it takes men to get gold out of the ground right creates the value because there's value in the labor of those men and it roughly the the actual value of gold is somewhat equivalent to the number of hours that it takes someone to get it out of the ground now with silver you have the added benefit of uh, silver has amazing applications in technology in fact especially Ironically in green technology, uh, things like solar panels, uh, it is uh, the best conductor of electricity out of all the metals and it has a very high uh, light reflectance value. So it makes it uh, very useful in technological applications. So it makes it very valuable. Now, gold and silver have been regarded as real money for thousands of years. In fact, um, I heard one, Uh, advocate for gold do an analysis and went back to ancient Rome and looked up, you know, what you could buy uh, um, or what the price of, you know, like a nice suit and a meal on the town was in terms of gold or silver back in ancient Rome. And essentially the same amount of gold or silver today will also buy you a nice suit and a a nice dinner out. So these um, monies have preserved their purchasing power throughout history, right? they've stood the test of time and silver certainly because of its industrial applications, um, you know, could not really be squashed. It's too necessary. In fact, people now are trying to develop technology to recycle it from old electronics, which, you know, you can find just tiny, tiny amounts, but it's so important that they're willing to, you know, put the effort into recovering those Uh, tiny amounts. So, you know, I would say that uh, these are a way to protect um, your assets from inflation, uh, certainly, and uh, from, you know, theft and coercion from the government, um, right? Because you can hold them privately, you can hide them securely, you can be confident that they will retain their purchasing power. They, They might not be perfect for every situation, um, right, because uh, let's say that you want to buy a house uh, and pay with silver, it would be hard to carry that much silver. <laughs> for example, <laughs> right?
2: <laughs> yeah, um, gold maybe. Maybe that wouldn't be that heavy. You, gold, you could I don't know.
1: definitely carry yeah. enough gold to pay for a uh, a good a down payment. Nice yeah, sure.
2: <laughs> well, okay. Funny but, story. Funny story, Andrew. I'll just say uh, while you're talking about this, and then um, then continue, please. But. Um, Uh, so recently we had, uh, we had some work done, uh, by someone for something that we needed done and, uh, we didn't have the cash, but we had two gold coins that we had. Oh, we had three, three gold coins that we had invested in because we've been working with Steve Merrill, a, a fellow from Canada, and he's been telling us that gold and silver is the way to go. So we kept, you know, um, you know, putting money away. Uh, for a rainy day. So comes to paying this guy and we're like, oh, shoot, you know, like it's uh, a bit maybe we should, you know, cash out the gold. And then we thought, well, why don't we offer him the gold? Because it'll pay for, you know, what he's done. Um, And then it has the potential of going up and we'll say, hey, we'll go down to the bank and or to uh, the gold and silver guy and we'll, we can cash this in and give you, we'll, we'll give you cash tomorrow. Or do you want to take this gold and think about like keeping it for them? Because we actually, we really had no choice. Like we didn't have any more cash. And so, <laughs> um, so the guy says, hmm, and he held it. He held the three gold things and we were kind of sad because we thought they were really pretty and <laughs> we didn't really want to get rid of them. But so he held them and he kind of flipped them around. He goes, you know, huh, I've never done this, um, but I guess I could do it. And they said, what? We said, well, today's value. And we rattled off the day's value of the gold. And we said, potentially, it's worth 200 bucks more in a month or two months. Um, potentially, it's worth double that in a year. Potentially. And so he weighed it, you know, and he goes, well. And we said, okay, we can go get you cash if you're worried about it. And he says, well, um, okay, you know. He, uh, he just kind of decided he'd do it. And we said, listen, you got one day. Take take it. We'll consider this paid. But if you want to give it back or you change your mind, you let us know. And he never did. So uh, that became like our, you know, our bartering were. And I've also like given somebody so, Lynn, a little you, silver you coin. Did him a,
1: you did him such a huge favor. Yeah. Because, you know, the, I bet the reason he was reluctant is because he's like, all right, well what am I going to do? I guess I'm just going to save this. I'm going to put it, you know, in a shoebox and bury it yeah. in my backyard or put it in <laughs> my gun safe. Yeah. And instead of, you know, spending that on something he didn't really need mm-hmm. now, he's got a little nest egg, yeah. right? That sometime in the future, like you say, because, you know, it, it could also go down in price and yeah. that does happen. Right but in the long term you're right you're going to be protected if we had you know a weimar republic situation in the united states with hyperinflation and suddenly it was a hundred thousand dollars for a loaf of bread
3: Mm.
1: right you'd you'd still be able to take you know a tenth of an ounce of silver and buy a loaf of bread (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, right, which is what what it's worth now, right? Which, which is, is what about the Bible
2: actually says will happen. You know, like that's that's pretty sad uh, that we might have to spend that much for a loaf of bread. It you know talks about end times, but um, a Weimar Republic, you said. Um, so, what does that uh, phrase mean?
1: So, the Weimar Republic was the uh, government in Germany after World War One, and right. you know because of the um, I can't remember the name of the accord, but the, Germany was ordered to pay reparations that were far beyond its ability to pay. And so, what it did was it did the same thing that we did in the United States, because the whole world did this because of the they declared an emergency, and that they, they couldn't pay, and so they went off the gold mark, which was backed by gold. They had you know German marks were backed by mold. They were gold; they were called gold mark, and they then started printing just the mark based on fiat, right? Based on a promise to pay. And they used that to uh, pay back the war reparations. But of course, because it wasn't backed by anything and because they had so many reparations to pay, uh, it became extremely devalued and went into hyperinflation. And and that's really what uh, created the situation where the Nazis were able to rise to power. Uh, because it was, you know, chaos and a major uh, crisis of economic scandals. I mean, people had to uh, spend their money immediately because if they waited even one day, it would be worth less. So it was like, you know, imagine, you know, working a day, getting paid at the end of the day and then going immediately to the store and spending every penny (laughs) that you made as quickly as possible before it lost value. Um, and then of course, you know, they ran, they couldn't, uh, buy goods from outside of Germany and they, uh, you know, it was just a disaster.
2: Do you think that could happen? Like I did have a friend recently and she had $200,000 sitting, uh, in her bank account. And, uh, you know, I got over being envious and all the jealousy that I felt in my heart over it and everything. And then I said, are you doing the right thing? Like if you want to protect those funds... Shouldn't you just get that money out of just sitting in the bank? I mean, and her and her husband were thrilled about it. You know, they'd made a real estate investments and, you know, they had some extra cash. And so that was fantastic. But I said, so looking at the world, is it really safe to be having and harboring all this cash in a day? Couldn't it be devalued in a crisis if if the Federal Reserve and the fiat currency is exposed? um, What could happen?
1: Yeah, I I agree. Because of the looming crisis and, um, you know, the brink of international bankruptcy, I think all um, assets that are denominated in fiat currency of any kind, right, and it's all, all of it is going to be tied to the U.S. dollar because of the World Reserve currency status, that they're a lot riskier right now. So that, you know, that means stocks, bonds, um, even gold and silver certificates, right? The paper uh versions of gold and silver are denominated in dollars um so all of that paper is much much riskier right now including just keeping it in the bank so you know one thing to consider is that if you put it in a tangible asset right something you can hold so like buying a piece of land or buildings right that no matter what the value of the dollar is, a building is still worth something. Land is, you can grow food on land, <laughs> you can live on land, right? It has intrinsic to. value. You get vehicles, they have value, you know, uh, firearms, tools, uh, generators, right? Equipment, these, all these things have value, just like precious metals also have value. So anything that has value intrinsically like that, because it's useful or functional or purposeful, um, will still have value no matter what happens to the currency. So I think, um, you know, having those types of assets are much safer. Um, you know, now is not the time to uh, speculate on the stock market unless you really know what you're doing. And, and actually people that want to invest wisely, who, you know, can buy foreclosed uh, real estate um, provided they have are set up with the right kind of, you know, credit Um, And there are lots of people teaching how you could prepare or prepare yourself or like shorting uh, stocks and assets, which is risky. But uh, that's how the big wealthy uh, financiers make money during an economic downturn. Um, And that's when you borrow shares um, temporarily betting that the price will go down because the price of everything's going down. And then if it goes down in the time that you borrow them, then the because what you do is you sell the shares at the higher price and then buy them back at the lower price and then keep the profits. And uh, that uh, type of strategy is how people can look to actually increase their wealth um, during these times. But I don't think I'm uh, anyone that's listening here, if you're gonna do that, you already know about that and you're already prepared for it. Uh, most people are probably listening to this or caught who, who aren't already doing the things that I'm talking about or have done them are probably not fully aware of the risks and vulnerabilities here because of this fact that, right, all all of this debt is just keep building, building, and it has to rupture creating this crisis at some point. And it seems that point is fairly imminent uh, months to years away.
2: Right. Well, I heard somebody talking about an article like just here in Canada that Um, That maybe we're not going to see the soft landing we were hoping for that, um, that, you know, could be people keep using these, you know, a bit of a rough ride or whatever. But uh, so you would probably be more aware of the United States of America. I mean, how how on earth do we get out of this huge mess? We're, you know, we're in Canada, we're trillions of dollars in debt. Um, Like, how do we ever recover? I just, this is a mess.
1: Yeah, well, this is, uh, you know, why they um, reorganize uh, every so often, right? There's been uh, bankruptcies and reorganizations of uh, various governments around the world when the debt uh, becomes due. And I think that this is what we're going. And that's what the new digital currency represents, right? It's essentially a reorganization, a restructuring of of the debt, uh, settlements, Plans, uh, you know, debt forgiveness, jubilee, and then a new system, which will uh, eventually lead to the same exact uh, problems. You know, when we back when we used gold as money, we didn't have these volatility cycles of uh, boom and bust, where we have uh, you know recessions and then booms and uh, inflation and deflation. All of this uh, has really occurred. Now it did happen in the past, but only when governments were devaluing currency uh, which is just really what the central bank does by just printing up large amounts of it not based in anything of real value you know with no money being in the system you know back when they had gold and silver coins in ancient rome when they started doing this they actually clipped little pieces off the coin (laughs) and then mix that, you know, uh, with other metals to make new coins. And, uh, you know, just like they've done with, uh, quarters, dimes, and nickels and pennies, right? They, uh, quarters and, and dimes used to be silver, uh, 90% silver for a period of time, and then 40% silver in the U S and, and, um, of course they, they started making them with cheap base metals. And, uh, and then, all those silver coins disappeared from circulation because as soon as people got them, they put them in their bank. And uh, now you it can actually, that's one, of the, that's one of the kinds of silver you could buy. They call it junk silver. And uh, that, that's a very good kind to have in that situation where you might buy a loaf of bread uh, with a, a silver coin because they're in you know, small denominations. And, and people, they're minted by you know, the official government mint, so people are familiar with them.
2: So how does it work? Because there's an aspect of of humanity that will never really struggle. Like people living like, let's say, in downtown New York, obviously they can afford these condos that are thousands of dollars a month and they seem to be, you know, surviving like there's a there's a part of our world that doesn't really get affected. Um, And it makes me sad about the part of the world that does get affected immediately. And we're seeing this in Vancouver. uh, Between Vancouver and Chilliwack, like out on a stretch of highway, Highway 1, we've got these little tent cities that are going up. This obviously has to be the people that they just couldn't even take the the first rise in grocery bills. You know what I mean? It's sort of those really, really struggling and... Uh, My heart goes out for that. And then it's going to be, you know, the lower income and then middle income. Uh, It could eventually just really, especially those that, you know, afforded a home with a 2% interest rate but can't do it at 7%. And they have to sell. And then they're forced to sell at a reduced rate. Perhaps they have to sell at a, you know, their home for far less than they even paid for it. So they're at a loss now. Like this is... This is the levels of society that are beginning to, to really feel the, the harm. But certain parts of society, they don't actually get that affected by gas prices or food prices.
1: Well, remember what I said about how this currency actually comes into existence, right? It Because it's created when you get a loan and make a promise to pay. Hmm. Now, this way of doing things, right, where you don't, act, you, you don't actually put in your hard labor, right, for gold or silver, and then it, it's much more equalized. So the people who are in in the privileged classes, right, like, like you described, they're extended this credit at will, right, because they, you know, a regular average person cannot, you know, get the uh, a $10 million loan. But they actually, their signature on a promissory note would create the same $10 million that one of those swanky downtown New York apartment owners would get. But those elites know how to utilize the system and they're given privileges within the system. And most of the people are essentially manipulated as debt slaves, right? That we have so many obligations. I mean, even home ownership, like you described. It's not true ownership, right? We don't save up and buy a modest home or piece of property and build our own home on it and you know put our sweat equity into it, right we We buy these homes on credit and it, and with a 30 year obligation, which means that even if it's two percent interest, like we're paying more than the entire value of the home in the interest because it's compounded over 30 years. And they just approved in the United States a 40 year loan. So in other words, these uh, types of arrangements, even though you feel you get the benefit of home ownership and maybe people have had bigger and more spacious or luxurious homes over the generations, it essentially creates a lifetime of debt and that you can never get out of. So you have to keep working and earning and slaving away. And if, you are unable to do that as you describe, right? You'll essentially be put out on the street. So, you know, that's not true home ownership, right? True home ownership means that no matter what you do, that's your home for life. And that's um, a much more humane and better way to live. And I think that's how people used to have it. And I'd like to get back to that in the future instead of a system of more slavery and manipulation.
2: Well, tie into what you're saying, um, Andrew, tie into that uh, these landowners who get multiple properties, um, you know, because of their success or flipping, and they have multiple properties, and then the the prices in order to rent are just astronomical. It drives up the prices of the properties. Here in Canada, our housing is about the most expensive, one of the most expensive Expensive places to live in the world to to own a home Um, and largely because it was cheap here I guess compared to some places in Hong Kong or China and they you know they'd come and they'd buy multiple properties we had them sitting nobody was even in them they would just buy up properties and so Canada got upset about that and and put some stop gates on certain parts of it but um, you know it's it's almost impossible to find good rent now without paying the price of really and truly a mortgage. My mortgages are in my past uh, were the same the same amount that anyone's paying for rent right now.
1: Yeah, well, you know, there's uh, many factors, uh, uh, but certainly inflation uh, is uh, you know one of the major factors here. Whereas the you know the rate of inflation is not kept up with. Uh, you know, people's wages and, and uh, you know, income. So they're not able to afford the same standard of living, you know, and this is part of the the cycle that's artificially created by having a central bank, um, you know, print money and manage the interest rates and essentially, you know, management of the monetary system rather than, than having it based in, you know, actual value with, with a fixed amount of money in the system. So these kind of cycles, uh, right, are going to uh, go through the boom and bust, and the average, you know, uh, debt slave, uh, which is you know uh, us regular folks, we're going to experience the the brunt and the misery of this. And you know, it, it's really is a travesty. And and I don't know what to say, you know, about um, if you can't afford a place to live, you know, what are your options? Uh, because they're not good, right? So what do you go live with your parents or a relative or couch surf or, uh, you know, live uh, three adults to a bedroom and essentially, right, we're turning back uh, the standard of living. But the something has got to give, right? Because we can't have uh, everybody uh, be homeless, especially in Canada.
2: Yes, it's, it's, uh, you're just uh, talking about a huge issue going on here. And uh, my son, uh, and his generation are quite livid. And, uh, in fact, he's expressed anger about it. So it looks like it's directed at me, like your generation did this, you did this basically. And so I'm like, ah, oh, I don't know what I did. Like I, I did buy property for cheap and then it went up and then I sold it and I got money from that. You know what I mean? Like, that's actually how I accumulated any wealth at all was like, it was kind of at the right time in history where the first condo that I bought uh, at the age of 25 was $56,000. It was a three bedroom, probably $1,200, $1,300 square foot home that probably right now is worth $600,000 in Burnaby, you know, where I first bought that. But we're not there anymore. Now, if you just wanna get into the market, our wages have not gone up to the same degree that our property has. And uh, they're quite upset because there's there's just no way to now get in and, you know, unless you kind of accept that burden that you're talking about, the burden of, of paying the, the mortgage and, Right, you know. you're right,
1: because people who live in expensive real estate markets, like, you know, in the United States, for example, in uh, Northern California, San Francisco and uh, Silicon Valley, uh, you know, obviously San Francisco is uh, going through a major decay and, and fall right now. but just go back a few years, it's the most expensive real estate market in the country. And uh, people who live there can spend 75, 80% of their earnings just on housing, right, on rent uh, or mortgage payments. And that that is way not sustainable. Um, you know, you where you, there's no way you're going to be able to uh, save up any money. You won't be able to, uh, you know, support a family uh, when you're paying such high rates. And I think, you know, in In manhattan and several other markets Uh, montreal i know is extremely expensive i'm sure vancouver as well um you know those kind of places people have to spend almost you know a huge majority of their earnings um on housing and and live modestly right i know you know from being in plenty of uh uh, people's apartments um in new york city that uh you know you you get very creative with how to save space
2: (laughs) right You all start taking a different part of the room or something. Um, And I've seen some of those crazy uh, things that people are doing. I kind of like, I've been presenting to my family. I mean, I'd like to live in a huge house like the uh, um, Dallas. Remember that old series, Dallas and the Ewings? Uh, They would all live together in a big home. And I said, well, you know, like, let's do that. Like, let's live together and we take our, you know, our incomes and make it all work. And, some kids are for it, some aren't, but it has to be the right situation, and, you know, why would I want to live with my mother again? So, there's some of that going on, but, uh, you know, there might be, um, you know, some uh, certain ethnicities or groups sometimes do this. I mean, sometimes the Chinese will, uh, or even the, the um, you know, East Indians or, or or people that have come from other part of the world, they, they love to be with family. They could only afford to be with family, so they just they get a, a decent house and everyone gets a bedroom and you, you know, you cohabitate uh, and we've become not used to doing that. we become low. Oh, I need my own really nice home for my 2% mortgage and I can afford it. And I've got this, but all of a sudden uh, upset the fruit bowl. We've got problems coming our way. So we might have to reevaluate what we think is normal life.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. And you know, what you describe is actually a very interesting uh, sociologic phenomenon and, um, uh, it's been written about by historians but when you have immigrant populations that go to other nations right that they struggle at first um, but they you know try to establish businesses like for example, you could look at all of the uh, Korean grocery markets uh, in New York for example, right so many Korean immigrants came over to New York City and uh, established these grocery markets and became you know successful uh, business owners. But what they did was, right, when they first came over and they had nothing, they wanted to get ahead, so they sacrificed. So they crammed as many people, you know, into a house. They lowered their standard of living. They spent all their time working to establish a business or save up the, you know, to rent a a space and, and buy inventory. And by doing that, they were successful. But, you know, we didn't expect to have that existence in our life. We expected that our, you know, our parents and grandparents and their grandparents have already established themselves in this nation, right? And that we would be, uh, you know, able to establish ourselves perhaps even in the professional class. So having to compromise, lower the standard of living, you know, live life as a poor immigrant is uh, certainly not what young people expected to experience when uh, all of the pop media filled them with hopes and dreams and fantasies about, uh, you know, wealthy lives of glory and uh, college degrees and and uh, you know parties and girls and all of that stuff.
2: Wow. Um, my final question, um, Andrew, Mr. Kaufman, um, you you have been uh, searching out the truth on many things. I mean. Do you think it is really, it is an actual agenda to bankrupt and financially strap a lot of the world so that we're in trouble and then food is in trouble and lodging is in trouble and general mayhem that makes us miserable? Like if we don't have a good place to live, if we don't have food, if we don't have funds, we, we don't feel very happy, you know? And um, do, do you think it is... Their agenda, because the WEF will say uh, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Is that a blazing lie? Uh, but is that their agenda to make sure that we're, we don't own anything and they, they bankrupt a lot of the world?
1: Yeah, well, look. The one of the most successful business models is the subscription business model, right? Where every so often, right? Every month, every week, whatever it is, you, you keep paying for a service. So if we own nothing and rent everything, that means everything is a subscription service. So if you're the managers uh, or the owners of the world, you, you would recognize that as one of the most uh, lucrative business models. And it, it allows, you know, for uh, tight control of the resources. And this is how people can be um, controlled. And and this is essentially what, you know, the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset are all about. And it's in their own documentations. But I want to mention something very interesting, uh, that uh, uh, sort of hidden knowledge, because they refer to this whole operation as the Great reset. And so I'm also someone who studies law as well as finance. And I happen to have blacks law dictionary um, uh, in my library. So I looked up and someone suggested this to me, so it wasn't just my idea, but I looked up the word reset and it describes a theft, a transfer of ownership against property owners rights. So in other words, if the plan is that you'll own nothing and rent everything, then that means that everything you own now will have to be transferred to someone else's ownership. And since reset means a great theft, essentially somebody is gonna steal everything that we own. Um, And that's what the reset is about. And that's why we're gonna have to rent it. And that might be what, what we agree to, to cancel all our debt is that we, you know, agree that we give up ownership of all our property. Um, And some property, you know, we can't really consider that we own now because if we have a mortgage uh, to pay off for 30 years and a lien by the bank on our house, do we really own it? If we have to pay property taxes, even if we own the, the house outright and don't have any mortgage to pay on it, but we still have to pay property taxes, do we really own it? If we have a vehicle that we have to pay insurance, personal property tax on, and other you know, and those kind of expenses to the government, do we really own that that automobile? So we we've got to really kind of rethink um, our experience with respect to uh, property rights, uh, with respect to abundance, and our financial state, with respect to our debts. And those obligations um, to see, you know, realize that we're 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 really getting a raw deal, and that deal is going to get much worse. And if we're we're not aware of what the actual offer is that's going to be presented to us, uh, we're likely to get ourselves in a in a, a world of trouble.
2: Yes, 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 yes. And you know, it's that world of trouble that we began seeing because of talking to so many experts on the show because of talking to people like yourself that were watching sort of world trends and understanding what they were doing. We had a great interest rate and the housing market was still booming in, uh, the British Columbia area when we, uh, felt that we could see the signs coming. And, uh, I quite specifically needed a word from God, you know, and, uh, I opened my Bible and I find out today that you've got Jewish background, but, um, Nonetheless, I open Ezekiel to Ezekiel. I said, God, I need a word from you. Like, do we sell or do we stay? I need a word from you, God. And I opened my Bible to Ezekiel 12. And in the first six, six verses, I start reading. It just opens up to that page. I've never seen this before. I didn't know it was there. Um, and it says, son of man, basically um, pack your bags and go. And it says it six times, you know, in, in the six verses. And... Um, pack your bags and go while they're watching. And we knew, we f- we felt that we had received, like we would either be just foolish to not listen. If, if we're going to call out to God and say, I need a word. And then, you know, the Bible opens and says, pack your bags and go. You better pack your bags. So we never left Canada, but we did pack our bags and we got out of that real estate investment. We sold it and we purchased elsewhere in the world because of what we saw coming to Canada. And, um... We didn't even want to reinvest here because we don't trust what uh, Trudeau is doing, whether he seizes assets or he seizes bank accounts, you know, to people that are fighting for the truth right now. Uh, We're really under fire here. And so uh, when when I look at all of this, I know there are still people right now making decisions about what what they should do. Like, what should we do? Maybe you have a little nest egg. uh, Maybe you don't, but you're trying to figure out like, what is, you know, and some people, I feel sorry for those that feel they just have no choice, like that, you know, they don't have financial resources to actually dig themselves, claw themselves, buy themselves out of this mess. That's the real sad state, actually.
1: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, you using your sort of, um, divine intuition to make good decisions for you and your family is an excellent way to go. And, you know, buying land and property and selling it, it's all risky. Potentially there's a lot of things that can go wrong, right? And we don't need to have it made so much more risky or lose all the benefit because of this financial system. And, you know, one question we should ask is, well, why should the value of the property change? Now, you know, sometimes there's an area that gets popular and a bunch of people want to move there. And obviously that would make the prices go up if everybody wants to live in one particular area. But we kind of have expected, right, the, the home prices to just keep going up, but nothing is improved about the home, right? So why would the price go up? Well, it could go up, you know, simply because of inflation for because each dollar is worth less. And so you need more dollars for the same value. In that case, it's not actually going up, right? But but really it's the monetary policy from the banks that are make the value go up because they make the cost of lending so cheap because of the interest rates being low during this period when the government is printing lots of money, right? And they're printing money because there are more of those applications and more notes signed by good people promising to pay because everybody, oh, it's so easy to get money. I just apply and there it is. And I can buy this house. And since everybody's doing that, that increases the demand. But nobody, you know, people do it just because they can. Because I can get a loan, right? The banks are giving out mortgages real easily. So I'll I'll buy two homes if they'll let me. You know, I'm not gonna realize that it would be very difficult to pay it back (laughs) necessarily. Uh, because you know I want it, right? And then the value goes up, and then then you realize you can't afford it, so you sell it. Um, but the value went up, so you actually make money, maybe. And then the but as this process continues, at some point the the younger people they they're priced out because every home has gone up in value because of easy lending and uh, up and up and the. People starting out who have starting salaries and need starter homes, they can't afford anything now, or they have to spend 90% of their income, right, just to buy a house. So they end up renting, right? And this is kind of the the situation that your um, younger relative, uh, I can't remember if you said it was your son, was facing. Yeah,
2: my son, yeah. Yourself. Yeah. And and uh, and now, you know, the family uh, on his side, you know, with two grandkids, uh, they're kind of all living together and in a small home. And they're and, and my son actually has a, a down payment that he's uh, able to put into a home, but it won't buy anything like it, right. it, Now, now you got huge industry. So even if you have money, you don't want to put it into something like that. And so what it, it's quite a, a dilemma. And well, um, listen,
1: he if he is a little bit patient, because when everything crashes, that's when all the bargains will be there. So if he has Mm -hmm. still has that nest egg and, you know, puts it in a protected asset uh, at the right time, he'll be able to actually buy something reasonable with that. Right. Uh, Because everything will have to reset. When
2: it crashes, do you think that's what we're headed for?
1: Well, it can't uh, just fl- flounder forever. It has to go down at some point, right? I mean, everything has been done to keep things propped up as much as possible, but it's still nothing, you know, you, you the debt can never be paid off. Like, the, think about this, Laura Lynn, The when the uh, dollars are created, right, they're, they're actually, the federal government the treasury borrows them from the federal reserve right the federal reserve just creates them by having that promise and the application but they they lend it to the treasury at interest now let's say the interest is one percent right and let's say just for simplicity the treasury borrows a hundred dollars okay so now the, this is how the money, or the currency, comes into existence, right? So the Federal Reserve prints up a hundred dollar bill, gives it to the Treasury, and says that one hundred and one dollars are due back next year. Now, how could the Treasury pay one hundred and one dollars because they only have a hundred? Where's the other dollar coming from? Now, you could say, well, there's already currency that existed, and that's true, but it all came into existence the same way. It was borrowed from the Federal Reserve with interest. So they borrow the principal, but they're supposed to pay back the principal plus interest, but that can never be done because they only have the principal. So now year to year, right, they pay some of it back. They might pay the interest from last year, this year with money they borrowed this year, right? But each time there's more and more interest and less and less principal as a proportion of the whole. Mm. And at some point, the system has to pop. It can't, right? Because if there's more money owed than the money that's available to pay it back, then the debt can't be paid. So it has to be restructured some way, right? That means bankruptcy and restructuring the debt, right? When you can't, or I mean, think about it. If you borrow for a house and you can't pay it back what happens they take the house back right um, or you negotiate a deal uh, where you know you restructure the debt somehow maybe you you know you give them fifty thousand dollars now and they'll let you keep the house as long as you keep paying right uh, but there's got to be some kind of you know transfer of property and uh, restructuring of the debt and that's what we're headed for. And, you know, what's going to force that is most likely going to be a, a major crash of the economy. And it could manifest in many ways. You know, it could be uh, through bank failures or some other uh, method. It, even war, uh, you know, could uh, affect this or or make it uh, come to fruition in a different way.
2: Well, and all of those things just looming every day. <laughs> Or you know what's happening in our crazy world for sure well andrew kaufman thank you very much for your time this has been just really interesting and a fascinating discussion and i hope it's been helpful a lot of people watching right now so thank you very much uh where can people follow you these days are you putting putting your information out there
1: Yes. Yes. Well, definitely Rumble. Uh, like you, I'm uh, heavily uh, censored. So,
2: yeah. um, uh,
1: You know, uh, on all we, the usual places. We had a places, hard time you can...
2: finding you, like on, you know, on the <laughs> censored platforms. We were checking it out. That's
1: right. You can you can still find me on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook, but uh, but they they definitely uh, censor me there. But uh, Rumble is a great place, and at my website, andrewkaufmanmd.com and I have a membership called the True Living Fellowship, where we actually learn about issues like law and finance as well as health um, so that we can, you know, come together and support each other living as truthful lives as possible and share all this information, you know, so we can help each other be protected um, and uh, sustain our uh, life goals and our abundance for uh, ourselves and our families.
2: I love that. Thank you very much. You are uh, really a pleasure to speak with, and uh, thank you for following all of these rabbit trails so that we can get some semblance of truth from uh, what the world is telling us. Thank you so much.
1: My pleasure, Laura Lynn. Thank
4: you.
2: Absolutely fascinating, and I wanted to show you, I don't know, JT, if you still have uh, this up on the share, but uh, I was sent this, so we want to let you know that... uh, You know, this uh, conversation, actually, we didn't know uh, when we booked uh, Mr. Kaufman, you know what we might talk about, but I just appreciate what he's sharing. And I think it's insightful and it helps us to prepare. Um, So if any of you want to, you know, you've got savings, you get paid. Let's say you get paid, you know, $2,500 a paycheck. Um, If you want to start shoving 500 bucks into silver or gold, every paycheck. Um, maybe that would be your savings, or maybe you don't really save, but you know you should, right? I liked what uh, Andrew had to say about the guy that we gave the three gold coins to, where he had to go, okay, um, you know, I might spend this money if I had it, but you're giving me gold coins, and I'm now going to stick that, you know, in a hole in the ground or whatever, "Um, and hide it, uh, because it might go up um, this is sort of, uh, where we're at right now is that if we can all start squirreling away some money, that would be a good idea. And I absolutely believe in that. And we go through Steve Merrill. I think that we have Sun City Silver that we can put up on the screen there. Um, and if you just send an email, he will get back to you right away. Uh, we had him at the conference last weekend and we just, his information, his understanding. And I found out a whole bunch of things about Steve. Like, uh I mean, he wouldn't allow people to wear masks when they would come in during the COVID um because, uh, <laughs> because it, it's like a bank. And he says, I'm going to want people coming in. I can't see their face, you know, and he could be robbed or whatever. It was like not cool at all. But he also just thought it, you know, it was ridiculous. So, He stood in that way, and uh, I've really appreciated um, Steve's perspective. He really understands gold and silver. And he said, literally right now, you have the ability to buy gold at a, how did he say it, 90% discount by buying silver. Because his belief is that silver is being so kept down. Silver is so cheap. You can buy a silver coin, how much, Canadian? like about $30. And if those puppies, because here, let me read to you something that's on here. Um, It goes through a bunch of, uh, like, we should put this up, JT, I'll send it to you to put up on on the description. But basically, simultaneously gold prices around the world. So this is back in um, so Nixon famously promised the American public that there wouldn't be any negative consequences from his actions. It, it described what he did. Yet inflation hit 3% the following year in 1972, then, in, then 4.7% in 1973, then 11.2% in 1974. So that was a few bad years. So simultaneously, gold prices around the world were surging from $35 an ounce before the Nixon shock. To more than 170 bucks now. Don't you all wish that you got gold at 170 dollars an ounce? You know, I would have had a 35 at, an ounce. what's that? I would have rather have at 35. 30 well, yeah, you'd of course we wanted at the 35 dollars an ounce, but in you know in a very short period of time it went up to 170, as compared to close to 3,000 dollars an ounce, or no 2,000 dollars an ounce that it is now. So what uh Steve Merrill was talking about and we're going to actually put his full presentation we're going to present that um in the next week or two of what he had to say exactly so that I don't mix up his words because I'm famous for that but basically silver is being kept artificially low right now so just stock it up you guys and you can pay for things with silver um if there's a some kind of crash You can start going, hey, you go to the grocery store and, you know, you got a $30 coin that maybe now it's worth 50. So a wise dude is going to go, you know what? Our money is so devalued. Our money is so unstable. Yeah, I'll take your $50 silver coin for $50 worth of groceries because this might be worth a hundred bucks in a year. I'm going to take that. People are going to begin putting a lot of stock in gold and silver. Now, in the Bible, Haggai, it says that that gold and silver are the Lord's. And they do have incredible, beautiful, um, intrinsic value. And it's fun to get all those coins, I have to say, uh, you know, to just open up a, a coin and just, you know, play with that in your hands. That's, like, really fun. So JT and I, like... I'm only telling you what we do so that I'm in the same boat as you. Um, I just don't want a lot of money sitting in my bank account, so I want to be sure that we're investing in uh, now, yes, I know. We don't actually have a lot of money sitting anywhere. <laughs> but we did take what we earned in real estate, and we did purchase land and purchase, uh, you know, another property that is now making rental income for us. And this was something that I learned from Lance Now, Lance Now, we had at the conference again last week. He had a lady on that was describing that the, the um, Airbnb and things like that, VRBO or whatever, it's going to become a much huger industry in the next 10 years. Now, is that because people can't afford their own place? I don't know. Are people vacationing more? I don't know. But apparently, um, the, you know, the, the graph is going upwards on this industry. So let's say you can take your funds and maybe you have a place, but you can put it into a place that you can, um, you can rent out to people that are vacationing or whatever could be a very good investment. And I think, I think it's a nice idea, but we, you know, we, we, uh, we actually invested with a friend, in, you know, in the United States of America, and we do believe that having no mortgage, having no debt, so you're not losing, is a good idea. Now the market has not crashed. Everyone who is thinking about moving, thinking about selling um, in Canada, is this the hour? Seek the Lord. Ask God for the answer. One thing I know about God, when you say, I need a word from you, he gives you a word. For me, it was Ezekiel 12. Is the word from the Lord today for you, is it by any chance through this broadcast? You've been thinking about it. You've been wondering about it. Is it maybe through the information, the knowledge that we're presenting in this broadcast? Is it time to make some protective moves for your funds, uh, your nest egg, Or getting out of a problem potentially with being in debt. I don't know. It's up to you. Can we play a couple videos that are alarming, um, you know, concerning regarding this whole issue with Israel and Hamas and all that? Um, So I want to show you a video of Hamas using an RPG on an approaching ambulance in Sarot. Am I saying that right? Sarot. So take a look. So here on the video, we see an ambulance approaching. Hamas decimates the ambulance, shooting everyone in it. I saw another one, which I don't know if you have on. Oh, you know what it was, JT? It's on my feed from, um, let me share this thread. If you can put the thread up. I like to watch Amir Sarfati. And Amir Sarfati is reporting from Israel, and um, he's got a lot of um, a lot of videos. He's reporting literally hour by hour, moment by moment. I don't actually know when he's sleeping, but uh, he did have a video somewhere in here where um, they Hamas again just went up to a civilian car and just shot everybody. Just like that. It's very sad what's um, happening there. Now I follow him on Telegram and I do encourage everyone to get that Telegram Telegram app. You can get it on your computer um, or on your phone because on Telegram they're not censoring anything. So um, I'm being sent things. I still have, I'm sorry, but people are still confused over the hospital bombing. The hospital bombing, that never happened. Israel never uh, went against, you know, that, that first hospital bomb. And people in my circle still have no understanding that, no, 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 Israel did not bomb the hospital. Hamas immediately reports 500 people dead. I mean, how did they count them in, you know, 20 minutes and come up with a number? Oh, you've killed all these people. They blatantly lied. Then, sadly, by light of day, it was noted that the hospital wasn't bombed, the parking lot was. And then they were able to see that it was a Hamas rocket from a Hamas area. The rocket goes off, it misfires, it goes the wrong way. They bombed their own hospital parking lot. And all of the accounts of this had to be retracted and they were retracted on all of the major papers. And yet the people that are in my circle defending this craziness, uh, don't know the truth. So I like to go to Amir (laughs) Sarfati. Sorry, I really butcher his name. (laughs) Hopefully he's not watching. We are trying to get him on the show. So let's look at uh, Ben Shapiro at the Oxford Union debate, talking about the two-state solution.
4: British Mandate Palestine was ruled by the British. They carved they off Transjordan in 1920, and Transjordan was made into Transjordan with a Hashemite Kingdom, which, by the way, is not domestic to the actual Arab Jordans. If you're talking about a colonial outpost, Jordan would be it, since mm-hmm. the Hashemite Kingdom has nothing to do with the actual Palestinian Arabs who are living in Transjordan. Talking about the Peel Commission. If the idea is that there would have to be a separation of populations in order to effectuate a two-state solution, which you deny, then I was right. Of course, there was a deal on the table. The Jews accepted it. The Arabs rejected it. So you did not actually undermine in, in you his claim there diary, should be no deal in, David the first place. in his diary state. Yeah. Yeah, hold Not on, hold on, conditions. hold on. I, I oh, listened on. to your whole bullshit history for like five minutes here. So at least let me respond to it. Your entire claim is that the Arabs did not reject peace, and then in your own disquisition, you admitted that the Arabs rejected the Peel Commission Plan, which was a separation between the Jews and the Arabs, which gave an extraordinary amount of land to the Arabs. The Arabs then rejected the Peace Partition Plan proposed by the United Nations in 1947. They then proceeded to reject the Oslo Accords in 93. After that, they rejected the Y River Accords in 98. They rejected bah- Ehud Barak's very generous offer in 2000. They rejected Omar's very generous offer in 2008. Every single peace deal that has been proposed by Israel or anyone else has been rejected by the Arabs for a very simple reason, which was the very first question I asked you. You do not accept that there should be a Jewish state anywhere in this region. So as long as that's the case, there's literally nothing to argue about. You cannot simultaneously maintain the position. There should not be a Jewish state anywhere in the region and then tell me that I'm wrong when I say that the Arabs will not accept a two-state solution. You yourself say that there should not be a two-state solution.
2: So this is what I've been uh, reading about um, in sort of trying to educate myself and what I understand about Israel because, you know, I have a guy named Todd who's basically loved me for, you know, been watching the show and Todd keeps writing me. And then when I I present back to him, because he's on the Palestinian side, and when I present back to him evidence and all of that, and then Todd's like, you know, he's not supporting me. Um, I've got another lady saying, you know, that she's not going to support our work anymore because of my position on Israel and what's happening. But all I can say is that... I'm doing my homework to find out what's happened. And what Ben Shapiro just said, which by the way, me and Ben, were on completely different. He thinks, you know, Jesus was a criminal and got what he deserved. He, he's literally said that. So I am not, I'm not going to the guy that I'm in a hundred percent, you know, beliefs on his uh, belief system at all. Like he doesn't think Christians got the right end of the stick with the, the Messiah, Jesus. So that's okay. Uh, one day every knee will bow, that's all right, that's in God's timing. So, But I do like uh, Ben Shapiro for the fact that he's very well read and a very articulate presenter of historical facts. And the historical facts show how Palestine um, ha- has been offered so many opportunities for their own state, for their own land. They keep rejecting it. And it's on the basis, as he said, that they they just really don't believe that that the Jews should have any piece of land. And so what do you do with that? Well, you know, greed. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. You, you're just against a people group. And it, it's not right. It's not okay. Um, so a discussion uh, on a UK talk TV um, on the history of Jew hatred among Palestinians took place. And I want to show you that.
5: Because people must realise, Palestinian hatred towards the Jews didn't begin in 1948 no. with the state of Israel. The Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, the, the, the senior Palestinian figure, was in cahoots with Hitler. Yeah. He went to visit Hitler. There were pictures he helped, of up together. Aren't yeah, they? he helped to form a Muslim SS brigade yeah. to exterminate Jews in the Balkans. Yeah. The, the, the Hamas comes out of the Muslim Brotherhood, which was founded by Nazi sympathisers who actually translated mine Kampf into my jihad yeah. in, in arabic right and uh where, obviously and didn't he, mean uh, holy war though <laughs> it didn't, yeah it didn't mean no, a, it didn't an, mean an that, emotional no. struggle yes it, um and you know if you, if you look at all even yasser arafat and the plo have their roots yeah. going back to the muslim brotherhood yeah. and there were pogroms committed against jews in palestine long before the creation of the State of Israel. So people who are going on these marches thinking this is all about 1948, they are useful idiots for the anti-Semitic cause. And it's about time more people actually spoke up about that and exposed this virulent hatred for what it actually is.
2: Okay, so I would like you to do me a favor. I'd like you to like, subscribe and share this video. It's great information on your finances with Andrew Kaufman. It's also great information and a perspective on what's going on in the Middle East that you're not going to see on the nightly news. You're also not going to see, uh, you know, some of the things that we're presenting um, and perspectives we're presenting um, on on many forums at all. So in Canada, we kind of have a problem because it seems like we're all a bit confused over this issue. Um, I am the farthest from saying that Israel would be perfect, has not made mistakes, has not bombed places that they shouldn't have bombed, but I will tell you that I do respect that they generally have a humanitarian perspective. They generally uh, want to keep civilians out of it, while Hamas uses civilians as human shields. And I'm sorry if you're not going to follow me or support us for this perspective. It's simply fact and it's well provable. These animals that did this on October um, 7th, this is... Really disturbing and for anyone who doesn't believe about what really took place because oh, you know, you can generate AI and you can do videos, listen, the videos that Hamas took, Amar, uh, Amir Sarfati, um, he is able to direct you, okay, on his telegram if you go there or to his channel, he's able to direct you if you really need to see the proof. But let me just warn you, because he also showed the video of the people that came out of the room. I think 1,400 reporters and politicians and people that wanted to just have the proof. If you really need the proof of what Hamas did. And they went into a room and threw the cameras that that Hamas had on their their body cams. And the people that came out were just sobbing. They were sobbing. They were, you know, uh, you know over, bent over, they could not even contain themselves for the pain and the the heartache. They needed counseling after seeing that. I personally am not putting myself through that. I believe you. I believe you. These people came in and did a horrible thing. All of that after being given Gaza in 2005. And then a whole bunches of stories. Oh, it's a big, you know, prison. Well, it's had to be guarded. Yes. Because once you give land to someone and then they use that exact land, you give someone a gift, you say to a neighbor, listen, how about, you know, I'll go here and you go there. And then they use the higher ground to to bomb you, to hurt you, to send, you know, constant strikes your way. Not very, not very thankful, not very cooperative at all. And so, and then you lie and you say that, you know, that Israel bombed the hospital no, they did not. That's actually been completely debunked. And then I have another friend telling me today oh, all the deaths of the babies, that's all been debunked. No, it has not. It has not been debunked. So there's all this misinformation and disinformation going around everywhere. And I'm sorry, but when I decided to do this, I decided to do this because God had called me to speak the truth. Now, I'm not saying that my opinions at some point couldn't be in error. And when I find out that they are, I'll let you know that. But I'll tell you what I will not do. I will not bow and cower because people um, are mad at me and aren't going to support me anymore. I will speak the truth because I, I need to do that because I believe the truth bears out. And I search for the truth. And in fact, Proverbs tells us to search out a matter, to ask God for insight. And in all of that, none of that means that I believe in the Talmud, which somebody speaking about the Talmud, the Talmud this is completely idiotic now somebody is saying that the talmud totally supports uh you know the genders and all of that and so i researched that like what does the talmud have to say about genders and it does say some things where it has allowances for people that are born with uh you know intersex uh, organs and and you know connected and there's problems it has some other things too um the talmud I don't care at all about it. This is like the religious zealots. Jesus always had a problem with the Pharisees. Well, who basically has written the Talmud? Well, it's the Pharisees. It's the religious leaders of, of you know, of the Jews, of Israel. Um, God help them all for some of the things they've written. I, I don't support it. it I, this has nothing to do with that. Do I support that the nation of Israel has a right to exist? Yes, I do. I, I think I think Palestine should have their own area. I don't have a problem with it, but they, they keep rejecting it. They can't just you know accept a, a a piece of land and nobody wants them by the way. They're rejected by the Lebanese. Uh, they're rejected by the Jordanians, right? Oh, you have something on the screen? I can't see it. Go ahead. Oh, did you want me to put it on? It's in your window. Okay. Okay, let's go to let's go to this is it a video? Let's go to this next video. It might explain some of what I'm saying apparently. Go ahead. Why aren't more
0: Arab countries in the Middle East taking in Palestinian refugees? The onset of a renewed war between Israel and Hamas has led to fears that millions of Palestinian people living in the Gaza Strip may be forced to become refugees. But despite the fact that Gaza shares a border with Egypt, the Egyptian government almost immediately ruled out any possibility of accepting Palestinian refugees. In fact, Egypt is currently constructing an even larger border wall with Gaza than the one it currently has in place. Now, many outside observers have asked why Egypt, a majority Arab and Islamic nation, would turn away the Palestinian people. And of course, many have pointed out that it may serve the political interests of many Arab nations to refuse to accept Palestinian refugees because it allows them to then blame Israel for any sort of humanitarian crisis that unfolds. But the thing is, historically, many Arab nations have accepted Palestinian refugees. And that may be why Egypt doesn't want to now. For example, in 1991, the Kuwaiti government actually expelled nearly 300,000 Palestinians in the aftermath of the first Gulf War. And this represented an astonishing 18% of Kuwait's entire population. So what was the reason? Well, the Palestinian Liberation Organization had actually supported Saddam Hussein's invasion of Kuwait a year earlier. And this support only grew after Iraq began attacking Israel with rockets throughout the war. After Kuwait's liberation, the government considered much of the Palestinian community to be complicit in the Iraqi occupation of their country. And in response, nearly all Palestinians were deported in just a few months. And this wasn't the first time something like this had happened. Decades earlier, the Palestinian groups operating Jordan had come to openly call for the overthrow of Jordan's monarchy in the aftermath of the Six-Day War. At the time, the PLO maintained its own separate army on Jordanian soil and used that armed force to sow chaos. Armed gangs of PLO militants drove around the capital of Amman, robbing families and businesses in the name of collecting financial assistance for the ongoing war of attrition against Israel. When members of the Jordanian police and army tried to defend their citizens from these attacks, they were attacked and killed. The Palestinian political network operates as a state within a state, with militants repeatedly using Jordan to launch rockets into Israel. The Marxist-Leninist popular front for the liberation of Palestine even went so far as to hijack multiple planes, diverting the flights to a Palestinian-controlled airfield in Jordan, where the passengers were held hostage. By September 1970, the Jordanian army had finally had enough. A full-scale war with the PLO broke out, and after 10 months of fighting, the Palestinians were driven out of the country. Yet, as a parting gift, a Palestinian terrorist group known as Black September assassinated the Jordanian Prime Minister. Sadly, the story doesn't end there, because the PLO then moved into Lebanon, where they allied themselves with Marxist and socialist movements that were seeking to overthrow Lebanon's conservative Maronite Christian government. The presence of thousands of Palestinian militants flooding into the country completely destabilized Lebanon and plunged the entire nation into chaos. Less than four years after the PLO was expelled from Jordan, Lebanon found itself in the middle of one of the most bloody and chaotic civil wars in Middle Eastern history, from which it has never fully recovered. In short, Palestinian organizations have not just attacked Israel. They have sowed unrest in many of the neighboring Arab and Muslim countries as well, and this has led those governments to the conclusion that allowing for mass immigration or even just refugee camp resettlement within their borders would lead to domestic unrest for their own countries. And this, of course, only exacerbates the humanitarian crisis for those Palestinian non-combatants caught in the middle. The problem is, as long as terrorist organizations like Hamas and others are elected to represent the Palestinian people, their plight will most likely continue, as neither Israel nor, apparently, the surrounding Arab nations want to see their own populations threatened by terrorist groups.
2: Mm, And there you have it. (laughs) So, so all of this stuff that we're hearing, remember, there's always a different side, and I will attempt in my very best ability with our little team to dig into what are the issues we're facing. And I want to try to present that truth. I feel this is our next epic um, deception. It's our next epic understanding of what's real and what's not. And at no time, Do I 100% support the character or what Netanyahu's done? Okay, I definitely don't support what we've seen happen with the vaccines. And I don't support what we've seen happen with that in men and women of God have literally told their churches to get the vaccine, okay? It's not just the deception Netanyahu's faced, which, you know, the the whole, all these governments are told by the Fauci's of the world that everything's okay. In fact, let's have a look at Toronto Mayor Olivia Chow.
6: She's still promoting the shot. Take a look. Hello, everyone. Hi, I'm ready for the COVID-19 shot. I think it's shot number five, six, or something <laughs> like that, and... Uh, and my annual flu shot. It's an essential thing that I do every year for COVID every six months. Why? Because I want to enjoy my hopefully soon, upcoming uh, seasons, because I'm looking forward to spending some time with my grandkids, and sometimes they have a lot of germs (laughs) picked up from school and childcare center. Already, our hospitals, our healthcare system is stressed. We don't need to add a bit more, a lot more stress into the system. Right. So um, it's an essential service. It's free. Just do it. Do the double jab and go right ahead. We've done our best
2: to warn you. Dr. William Macus has done his best to warn you. Dr. Byron Bridle, um, I guess finding out that, you know, SV40 is in the jabs. This is all out there. You know, don't don't cut off my broadcast for this, anyone. SV forty in the jabs. Uh, it's it's Health Canada's had to admit it's there. Pfizer did not tell them. Oh, who knows? It's all going to be glossed over. There, there's not really an accurate word in the English language for this kind of stupidity. You just simply have to go. You want to have the jabs? Go right ahead take your fifth and your sixth. <laughs> it's just so wonderful. I just saw a, uh, a video with uh, Justin Trudeau basically describing the, the, the thrill and exhilaration of getting those jabs that he got. Absolutely incredible. So let's, uh, I do have a share here, JT, just before we move on. And um, I hope you can see it Uh, So this is on Dr. William Mackis page and double jabber COVID-19 and flu vaccines in one visit, international rebranding of failed pharmaceutical products. Demand has crashed only 7% uptake in the U S as sudden deaths continue. So what they're trying to do now is they're saying uh, they're combining, they're even changing it. It's not being called the COVID shot. You could be given the flu shot and it's actually the mRNA shot. So all of this nonsense, uh, all of the failure, our government in Canada having bought 400 million of these stupid things, and I guess they just don't want to take a loss, so they're finding new ways to package them and get them out to you. Um, if we go back to what Dr. William Macus is saying, I do want to make you aware of something that is, um, he's saying. He has um, a new article, Vaccine Injury Treatment Fasting for 48 to 72 Hours Creates Autophagy. I hope I'm saying this right. Um, the body's detox process that kills COVID 19, vaccine spike protein, damaged cells, and reboots your immune system. Dr. Trozi and Dr. Mack has have been talking about this. It's all coming out that one of the ways that you can reboot your system if you're struggling with the, the spike proteins is you gotta go on a fast, a hard fast for 48 to 72 hours. And when we had Dr. MacAson, on, I asked him, uh, he had done it himself just to reboot his system, not because he hasn't taken any shots, but um, because what it does is it puts your body into a bit of a stress mode and it begins attacking these uh, spike proteins. OK, so mRNA vaccine injured people have damaged immune systems. Fasting creates new immune cells. This is something everyone needs to know. A loved one, your partner, your spouse, your children, those that maybe are going, wow, I made a mistake. And I, and, and if they're willing to listen and if they're not willing to listen and they, they're just like Mayor Olivia Chow, who's just so excited and probably getting saline solution, let's face it. Uh, we've heard all about how there's different different shots for different people. So, you know, if somebody is all excited about their shots and they they don't want to listen to anything you say, I, you know, we really can't, there's nothing more to say. Like, don't talk about it. Just be friends. Um try to get past uh this this time, love them because they're gonna need it because more and more harm is coming from these shots and it's being shown so we're not we're on the right side of history if you want to know more about this fasting treatment then go to dr william Macus page and he is at Macus md m-a-k-i-s m-d and you'll be able to get that information all right <clears throat> remember arrive can what a scam that was um i think that they you know basically gave the um The contract to friends or whatever but all right so arrive can hearing uh so here they catch one of the contractors in a blatant lie take a look
1: do you know
0: if cameron mcdonald has a cottage
3: i don't know if cameron mcdonald has a cottage do you know if he had one i do not know if he had a cottage ...knew whether or not Mr. Cameron MacDonald from the CBSA had a cottage, and you said no. Do you want to reflect on that answer? Yeah, Mr. Um, MacDonald has never referred to it as a cottage. It's a chalet. It's not a cottage. ...for
1: that clarification, Mr. Firth. Are you kidding me?
0: Have you ever met with government officials outside of government offices, outside of government business hours? No, I have not. You have not. So I'm going to ask you some of these questions again. Have you ever met with government officials or anyone employed by government in a private residence? Yes or no? Yes. Okay, what is the nature I, of that meeting?
3: I'm, I'm assuming, that they, I don't know the exact meeting you're referencing. I have, it's not like I've had h- hundreds of these things. The truth is, I don't know which one you're talking about. I, I want to know about all of them. Same I, I don't know which one you're, sorry, I cannot comment. If you could direct your exact question to me in writing, huh? I'm more than happy to respond. Sir, you're here providing oral answers to oral questions for a parliament estate
0: committee ha- of, I don't
2: the of the house of commons. Answer.
4: Well, your answer changed.
2: <laughs> it's not a cottage. Um it's a chalet. It's you know it's more of a penthouse uh, in a high-end resort. Uh okay. All right. Wow, let's just play word games. Just ridiculous. So, uh, you might remember, uh, the trans Nashville shooter, there was an issue about his manifesto. We're going to end with this today, but, uh, it was hard to get a hold of the manifesto and there were questions about, you know, what this, this person had written. So Steven Crowder obtained the trans Nashville shooters manifesto and reads part of it. Take a listen.
3: Dark abyss, death day, March 27th, 2023. Today is the day, yes, the day has finally come. I can't believe it's here. Don't know how I was able to get this far, but here I am. I'm a little nervous, but excited too. Been excited for these past two weeks. There were several times I could have been caught, especially back in the summer of 2021. None of that matters now. I'm almost an hour plus seven minutes away. Can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm ready. I hope my victims aren't. My only fear is if anything goes wrong, I'll do my best to prevent any of the sort. God let me, God let my wrath take over my anxiety. It might be 10 minutes tops. It might be three to seven. It's gonna go quick. I hope I have a high death count. Ready to die. Ha ha. Signed, Aiden. Next page. Audrey. Kill those kids. Three exclamation points. Those crackers going to private fancy schools with those fancy khakis and sports backpacks with their M-Daddies Mustangs and Convertibles. F- you little. I wish to shoot you weak ass with your mop yellow hair. Wanna kill all you little crackers again. Bunch of little with your white privileges. F you Then we have the schedule, death day, 6.30, desired. It's covered by a sticky note, 7 a.m., get dressed, 7.05 to 8.55. It says, with stuffed animals plus possessions, 9 a.m., eat breakfast at home. The home is encircled in a heart shape, 9.30, pack up special belongings and backpack. Test knife core breaker, leave for Royal Range, gear up, plus setup, guns and trunk. Final videotape, leave for Covenant School.
2: Okay, well, very sad. And, uh, you know, you can see why maybe they were trying to keep some of it hidden. Basically, uh, you know, there's a a mixture of the woke agenda and belief systems that are being propagated, hatred towards certain groups, um, and uh, a very, very sad day for this uh, young woman transitioning uh, into being a man. And uh, so some of the hatred that is there... This is the hatred we do not want in our nation, we don't want it in our country, and uh, we have had some, uh, even this last weekend, Palestinian uh, rallies and things that are going on in our country, um, some of the things that are being said, um, death to the Jews, um, all of these kinds of things, these are some very disturbing things happening, and you know, the amount of people, and I know that uh, Amir uh, Sarfati is saying that there's concern about, like, you know, where is the counter? Because there's way more people that support what the Jews are doing. It's, it's an interesting thing in this last three years that actually the people that are on a certain side, which there's more of them. It's the fringe majority are are quiet and silent. And while you know this is going on. And as folks rally, which is a, a free thing to do in our nation, it's totally encouraged that you should be able to protest. But some of the things uh, that are being said death to the Jews out loud, to me, that constitutes hate speech. Um, so they're speaking their their mind and saying the things that uh, they want to say. But it's interesting that in this country, if you want to state a scientific fact like men are men, women are women, XX and XY chromosomes matter um, that you can be, you know, threatened with potentially that that's, you know, hate speech. Remember a gentleman, a father named CD that was told by a judge that if he misgendered his daughter, that that would be considered um, like a violent, a violent assault against her a verbal violent action by by calling her the gender and the the term that she was born in. And so now we have people marching on our streets calling for the death to a certain people group and everyone's just like deer in headlights once again and it's disturbing. Some people are also saying so Laura Lynn you're on the sides of the people that were against you know those standing with Israel like You know, Biden, who I'm totally against, um, you know, supporting Israel and all of that. Well, all I have to say to those are, where will you be in not too long from now when nobody will be supporting Israel? Because there will come a day when no one will support Israel. Then are you on their side? Because y'all are mad at me for supporting Israel and they're then going to turn and not support Israel so then are you in the wrong because you're on the side of Biden's not supporting Israel? I don't know. What's going to happen there? Um, let's see if I can. Not sure if I can get into here right now. Okay. Um, I can't get this page back. I wanted to show, so never mind. So thank you very much. My website is TV. I am very grateful to you that you tune in. Some of you... Grappling, struggling with all of the different things that are happening. Um, let's go through it together. I have been attempting to get back to people uh, on email regarding these issues and to present videos because there's so many you could watch. Again, I do recommend following Amir. Maybe if uh, you can just go to this. Um, so this is how you how you uh, spell his name. And... Amir Sarfati, and if you uh, follow him on Telegram or his YouTube channel, uh, his website, which is um, Behold Israel, he's president of Behold Israel, Um, I don't agree with everything Amir says, but I will tell you he's on the ground, he's giving play-by-plays of what's happening over there, he's also giving great context, I listened to... um, an incredible interview, which I'll try to get some, JT and I were both listening to it, and I'll try to get uh, some clips from it, because he was describing how the breach in security happened in Israel. He described it very in-depth, because everyone's saying, oh, like, how did this happen? Well, he, he he talks about how it it happened, and I don't want to do the words, I'll let him tell the story. So we'll get that for you for tomorrow, let's not forget that, JT. Let me not forget. Um, thank you for your support of this show. Please like, subscribe, and share. Make sure that you tell all the folks that you can to, you know, tune in. And um, sometimes we have longer broadcasts and you can't watch the whole thing. Or you can put me on fast, on fast, and I end up, I do sound like a squirrel. If you put it on, you know, like go to a fast speed, right, of the video, Do you know you can do that, right? Like on Rumble or um, Facebook, you can just... Speed it all up and you can get the information even faster. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your kindness. Uh, We're here because we value telling the truth and we started this and we're not going to stop just because we get a little bit of uh, backlash from people. Um, Someone told me not to say lash back. It's backlash. So I don't know. Hopefully I said that right. I I love you all. I appreciate all of the things that you do for us. And also uh, we do have a box number if you'd like to write in. It's Box 48184, New Westminster, and that's uh, something strange happening there, JT. Yeah, Box 48184, New Westminster. It's at the very tail end of our show here today, or you can get the address uh, off our website. There it is. Okay, V3M0A7. Feel free to send us uh, a note, a letter. We love reading them, getting them. Thank you for all your cards, your love. I appreciate it very, very much. Um so uh let us uh go to the word of God today and uh let us read Amen So the parable of the 10 virgins not virgins that's MSM but the virgins At the time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The, The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Now, many people feel this is like a story that Jesus told to be in preparation for end times. And when it says the bridegroom is long in coming, he certainly is, you know. My grandmother uh, definitely would have thought that Jesus would be here long before now. In fact, before my mom grew up, my mom probably thought that he'd be here before I grew up. You know, certain things were said. Oh, the world's getting so bad. He's gotta be returning this year. I mean, we can't go much longer. I don't know, we still get everything we want. I don't. I just don't think we're there yet. Um, but But things are amping up and certain scriptures are being fulfilled. And when it says, he's a long time in coming, He, we're like, Jesus come now. I, my Muslim friend recently said, we need Jesus to come back. And yes, we do, we really do. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up, trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. And they said, no, there may not be enough for both of us. Uh, So instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. We're prepared. We can't give you our oil. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, and this is, a, this is an ominous thing. The Lord replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. I don't know you. You were gone. You weren't waiting. You weren't ready. You weren't prepared. I don't know who you are. You never gave me any time. You rejected me. You didn't receive me. My love for you was always there and you let it pass and you weren't ready. You didn't have the oil in your lamp. Therefore keep watch, Jesus said in red letters, because you do not know the day or the hour. So sometimes I think part of it is that it takes so long and seems to be taking so long and so much evil happens in the world that we begin to think you know maybe he's just not coming and then that's the very hour when suddenly there's a suddenly and the return of the lord happens so we shall see there's also big questions about whether god and his kindness would allow us to go through tribulations and people argue I got good friends that are Christians and they think, you know, Jesus is coming to get us before all the trouble. And I got other friends who are like, no, 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 we're going to go through it, but we're going to be victorious and we're going to trust him. It's going to be a victory. I don't know what the truth is. I can find scripture to validate both. But all I say is I pray I'm ready. I pray that I'm ready today. And I hope that you're preparing yourself as well. See you tomorrow. God bless you know it's not easy to deliver the truth of what our sick world is doing but for some of us we feel that we have no choice because if we are silent about these abominable things then we are letting evil go unchecked and we cannot do that for those of you wonderful people who are writing me and are sharing your encouragement i am deeply grateful thank you for all the letters that you've been sending thank you for the donations and the support